0: Hello everyone, welcome once again to <laughs> Reason for Hope. Good job Pastor Scott, you smiled today. Yesterday they were deep in their laptops. <laughs> but today they are ready. They're ready for it, out- look how ready they look. Wonderful, it's good to see you all. Welcome to <laughs> Reason for Hope. We're glad you're joining us. Reason for Hope, in case it's your first Get time. Him off the <laughs> I'll come back to you. No, I work in the back, right. I see no smiles. <laughs> Reason for Hope is an a hour-long live broadcast where we're just goofy for a whole hour. No, that's not true. It is a... a, a live broadcast which is dedicated to your questions on the bible you can send in your questions through the multiple platforms that we're streaming live to and we have these wonderful guests here that are going to uh, to yield is that the right word the word of god and answer your questions as they are stated in the word that's what we're all about so if you have a a verse or passage of scripture that you'd like uh, um, explained maybe even something you're going through in your life you'd like a biblical perspective what does god say about these different issues. Maybe Christianity as a whole, maybe you're curious about uh, what Christianity uh, believes, what what the Word says about lifestyles, things like that, maybe other religions as well. As long as you know that the answers are gonna come from the Word as accurately as we possibly can, um, that's what our desire is here at A Reason for Hope. So we welcome your honest questions. Once again, you can send them in through the various platforms, which I'll go over in just a moment. My name is Dave Robson. I'm your host today. I'll be keeping my eye on all of those platforms as we go along with us today. Once again, Pastor Scott Richards, who's the senior pastor here at Calvary Christian Fellowship at Tucson, where we're streaming from. How are you
1: doing? i uh, bright and chipper and ready to rip.
0: <laughs> right. <laughs> That's how we like it. Well, yeah. well, thank you for being here. And also Pastor Sean Richards, how are you doing today? Antagonistic. <laughs> good, all oh, good. So no, no change there. <laughs> well, thank you both for being so faithful to, to do this every every weekday, and uh, we're looking forward to to getting to your questions and see where the show goes today. Well, as I mentioned, reason for hope is a live broadcast. We're with you Monday through Friday, five to six p.m. here in Tucson, Arizona, Mountain Standard Time. But of course, you can join us all around the world as we're on the uh, internet. So um, we're uh, we gladly you know welcome you wherever you are joining us all around the world it's an outreach of calvary christian fellowship here in tucson arizona so keep that in mind when you're trying to find us uh, if you go to calvary christian that's a great home base for you right there and if you're in the tucson area and looking for somewhere to worship and somewhere to, to study the word with us you're welcome to come along and check us out we're right by prince and i10 on the west side of the freeway in the business park right there calvary christian fellowship um, and you can reach out through our website as well send us a message and Get some more information from the website itself but if you go to that watch live tab that will take you to our live page uh, as we're live right now you'll see the video there you can sign in with the username and be part of the broadcast uh, through the chat function there that's one way you can send your questions in and i'll be keeping my eye on those uh, on that chat function with you right there uh, when we're offline you'll see a countdown to our next show and you'll see a schedule of upcoming events as well so you won't have to miss anything we stream our services uh, to that same page as well so that's another way you can see what's going on here at Calvary Christian Fellowship. Um, the direct link, ccftucson.online.church. You can type that right into your uh, address bar, and it will take you to that page or follow the link from calvarychristianfellowship.com, as I mentioned. We're on Facebook as well, Calvary Christian Fellowship at Tucson on Facebook or facebook.com slash Tucson. Don't forget to like and share. We'd appreciate it if you did that. But there's another way to send your question right there in the, the chat that's attached to the video. Send your question in right there, and we'll be re- receiving those loud and clear as well. Um, calvary christian fellowship of tucson in your app store you can download our app look for that red background with the white calvary chapel dove logo that's our app right there so you can watch us on your mobile device take us with you wherever you go Uh, we're on roku and apple tv as well so if you have those devices or or, you know smart tv you can add our channel Uh, calvary christian fellowship of tucson on roku and apple tv watch us on your big screen Uh, we're on youtube live there as well as we speak and don't forget to like and subscribe and click on the notification bell and all that good stuff. These are things that help us to to spread this ministry. Uh, but we are live there. You can send us your question in the uh, comments on the video as well. And that's a live tab that you see right there. Anytime we've been live, it, it's uh, archives for you right there. So if you missed the show or you would like to recap um, one, uh, they're all right there for you under that live tab. So a reason for hope there on YouTube, you'll find us there as well. And now Pastor Scott here, I just introduced. He's on uh, Twitter. Uh, Scott R for H is his handle Scott letter R number four letter H and he posts all kinds of stuff on there highlights from the show and commentary on world events every time uh, we go live there's things to share about what's going on in the world and he posts things about that on Twitter as well um, so it's a uh, very interesting to follow on with him and also some funny things and that kind of stuff so if you're on Twitter Scott R for H follow along with him um, that would be great as well we're on Rumble if you're on that platform we're not live on there, but we post videos there as well. Reason for Hope Bible Q&A if you're on the Rumble platform. And last but not least, we have an email address, questionsforhope at gmail.com. That's questionsforhope spelled out, all lowercase, at gmail.com. You're welcome to send your question in there. I'll be checking that through the, throughout the show as well. If you're listening to us on the radio, we're glad you're joining us. You're listening to the last show that we, we did pre-recorded, so we're not live with you per se, uh, but we're glad you're, you're tuning in. Use that uh, email address, questionsforhope at gmail.com, and we'll try and get to that question on our next show. Uh, Whichever method you have found us on, we're very glad that you're there. Once again, send your questions in early. Sometimes we do run out of time. So if you get them in early as you can, we'll try and parcel out the time for your questions today. And uh, we often hear that someone is not brave enough to send the question, but somebody else asked that question. It's something that was on their heart. So be that brave person, send your question in. There's there's no stupid questions, as long as it's an honest question, as long as you know that the Bible is where we find the answers. So um, thank you for being part of the show today. Well, with all that being said, whew, why don't we pause to pray? Sean, would you like to do the honors? Okay. That'd be great.
2: And thank you that we have the chance to be here. You know, we have a lot on our plate and a lot that we could be anxious about, but we want our eyes to focus on you. We thank you that you are not only worthy of our attention, but capable of solving our problems. And as anxiety and emotions are stirring themselves up in their own season, we pray that you would be the constant in all of this allow us to keep our priorities straight and our joy to be centered on you as we not only serve you in these moments but for those listening to center themselves on you and your word as well We pray this in jesus name amen mm-hmm. amen amen, amen. amen. So,
0: thank you well uh often we when you here, scott we start off with a bit of an update with things going on um boy, oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> lot, <laughs> lot happening all at once
1: yeah, well. sailing along thinking we we're going to mostly be devoting the uh, program to questions but boy one uh, story after another has uh, certainly landed Uh, With a thud uh, as far as uh, prophetically significant events One of the things we like to uh, remind you of on the broadcast is that Israel and things around Israel Is the straw that stirs the drink as far as uh, God's prophetic plan uh, To right this world gone wrong culminating in the return of our Lord Jesus Christ A number of different um, prophecies that are made about the future of Israel But mostly to sum it up for you that Israel is going to be a uh, rock of stumbling and a, uh, a cup that causes reeling uh, to all the nations around it. Uh, and certainly we've seen some developments along that line uh, today. Uh, when uh, we were going to airtime, uh, a couple of uh, pretty major stories dropped regarding diplomacy and the Middle East. Let's start uh, with diploma- diplomacy and the mad mullahs in iran uh the biden administration uh, announced uh just before airtime here today that the united states and iran have reached an agreement to win the freedom of five imprisoned americans in exchange for several jailed iranians and eventual access to about six billion with a b in iranian oil revenue according to several people familiar with the deal Uh, As a first step in the agreement, which comes after more than two years of quiet negotiations, Iran has released into house arrest five Iranian-American dual citizens, according to officials at the State Department and the National Security Council. Now notice, uh, these individuals are not released from custody. They've simply been transferred from jail into house arrest somewhere in Tehran. Uh, The... uh, the price for this was $6 billion being paid to the Iranians, which is really significant because uh, since June, uh, there have been rumors that the United States has been negotiating behind the scenes what they call a mini-nuclear deal. You might remember the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, as it has been called, uh, the, uh, the sweetheart deal that uh, the Iranians were attempting to come to, uh, where uh, the Western powers the United States, uh, the uh, U.N. Security Council, uh, and so on, uh, would negotiate with Iran uh, that they would promise not to enrich their uranium to a weapons-grade level. Now, weapons-grade uranium is anywhere from 80 to 90 percent enriched. According to the original provisions of the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, the Iranians had committed the idea of not enriching their large stores of uranium anywhere above 3.67%. Uh, that is, it would be uranium to be useful, say, for a nuclear power plant. It would be uranium useful, say, for medical purposes, but it would not be able to be used to build any kind of a weapon. Uh, the uh, the uh, agreement that uh, the United States has entered into uh, with Iran, uh, not only... Uh, has sent them $6 billion with the proviso that the Iranians will only use this $6 billion for food and humanitarian purposes. Mm. Uh,
2: which Iran is known for. Yeah.
1: So, uh, you know, uh, again, the yes. Iranian spokesman said, if you're opposed to this deal, you're opposed to uh, uh, providing food and shelter for homeless people, of uh, which you would really pretty much expect from the Iranians. Uh, What has uh, pretty much been the case is, uh, as they say, cash is fungible. That means it can be used for a lot of different purposes. And in the past, any kind of lifting of economic sanctions on the Iranians has seen the Iranians use such funds to be able to, uh, well, pay for their misadventures and various terrorist proxies that are located around the Middle East. This will be no different. Uh, The other interesting part of all of this is uh, there is a tacit say-so that the Iranians are just fine with where they are as far as uranium enrichment is concerned. Remember, in 2015, they were not to cross the line from 3.67% because anything above that uh, really doesn't have any kind of civilian purpose. It's only for the purpose of making weapons. Currently, the Iranians' stocks of uranium are enriched at 80% percent, 90 percent being the best possible enrichment for making a bomb, but uh, 80 percent will work in a pinch. So they're already there, in in a sense. And the United States, in essence, is saying, oh, yeah, well, you can go ahead and do that. Uh, According to uh, the Jerusalem Post, former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo offered this assessment of the move, releasing six billion dollars to the butchers in Tehran. Just so American hostages can go to a different type of prison is a terrible deal. Iran shouldn't profit from holding Americans hostage. Hmm. And I would tend to agree with uh, former Secretary of State Pompeo. There's an old saying that uh, behavior rewarded is behavior repeated. Why in the world uh, would the Iranians not then, uh, when the need arose, uh, seize some dual American-Iranian citizens? or uh, even kidnap a soldier or two from uh, the uh, battle lines in Syria, in Iraq, where they are, and uh, essentially say, hey, you know, um, too bad about uh, your soldiers wandering off into our territory, but uh, let me tell you, for a few cool billions, we can ship them back to you. So that's really where we're at right now, and uh, as far as Israel is concerned, uh, you can, as you can probably imagine, they were not too thrilled about uh, the, uh, the deal uh, as it went down. Uh, and uh, it will be very interesting to see uh, what happens uh, as a result of all of this. Uh, in a, an assessment about the particular deal uh, in the Jerusalem Post, U.S. prisoner release negotiated at the same time as Iran nuclear mini deal, according to this article. Uh, We are told uh, in this uh, particular uh, article that uh, neither the American nor the Iranian statement about the deal openly confirmed the payoff. Iran's mission to the U.N. said they agreed to reciprocally release and pardon five prisoners. The six billion is a lot more than just reciprocity, if Mm. you will. It's basically a ransom, if you will. Uh, In June, strides uh, the side's neared agreement for Iran to stop its uranium enrichment at 60%, far beyond what was permitted in the nuclear deal, but below the 90% needed for a nuclear weapon. Now we know that they are enriching at 80% here. Uh, We are also uh, told that Congress was kept in the dark by the Biden administration uh, to avoid uh, any misunderstandings with Tehran. In the uh, process, any uh, senators or congressmen opposing the deal, uh, and uh, again, uh, the uh, uh, deal uh, has been said to uh, determine the agreement in no way compromise the commitment of the United States to Israel's security. Uh, Netanyahu uh, came out and said he was not overly concerned with the deal being negotiated, uh, essentially because it's pretty much business as usual Mm. it isn't asking the iranians to back off their nuclear ambitions rather it's funding other things and we could ask ourselves this question what other things could this money be used to fund well our good friend amir serfati uh, on his uh, wonderful behold israel website if uh, you're not familiar with that i would highly encourage you uh, to uh, uh, log on to behold israel and follow amir on a regular basis Really provide some great analysis here, but he points out that Israel has a uh, issue that they're having to deal with a little closer to home, but related. Uh, in his uh, weekly update, uh, he said that Lebanon is on the brink of war. The economy has collapsed. The government is run by an Iranian-backed terrorist group, Hezbollah. Soldiers are firing on citizens. Thousands of citizens are fleeing the country, while other nations are pulling out their embassy staff. And the Hezbollah leadership is consistently speaking of war, words of war towards Israel. He said, it truly breaks my heart to see this. I love the Lebanese people, but they're being held hostage by Hezbollah. On Tuesday, the head of Iran's Quds force, and uh, I would defer to uh, my right-hand man, protégé Al-Ran, good guy, Sean Richards, uh, when uh, Iran refers to Quds, what's it talking about? Quds, let me verify in a moment. About no, no. Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Al-Quds. Al-Quds, okay. Yeah, <laughs> the uh, farthest place, if you will, where... Uh, Muhammad supposedly did his midnight ride and, and so on. Yeah, the Miraj. Uh, yeah. it's,
2: it's referred in the Quran, for those of you who want to look it up, as um, Masjid al Haram, the forbidden mosque, yeah. but there's no actual confirmation. It's referring to Jerusalem. It's just at the time of the Quran's writing, or whenever, the idea of what was the farthest reaching point where, quote unquote, Islamic, or at least. Nabataean worship was at his time. And it's also worth noting historically, Muhammad never actually went on that journey. It took place in a dream, according to his child bride Aisha. Okay, so
1: Al-Quds refers to Jerusalem. Hmm. In other words, the
2: special forces of Iran,
1: they're the best of the best, refer to them as the Al-Quds force. Why? Because they exist for one reason, to take back Jerusalem that mm. they feel is being controlled yeah. uh, by uh, the uh, unbelievers and the kafirs and so forth. Uh, so, you know, again, uh, Iran has uh, basically made Lebanon into a wholly owned uh, subsidiary. In fact, on Tuesday, the head of Iran's Quds Force, Esmail Qa'ani landed in Lebanon. He was there to coordinate the final details for an attack on U.S. forces in Syria and on Israel from Lebanon. What is the motivation behind these, sank- these escalations? Iran wants Hezbollah to go to war with Israel so that the attention is diverted away from their nuclear program. Hezbollah, on the other hand, needs a war to divert attention from how they've trashed the country. Unfortunately, war will not go well for the Lebanese people. On Tuesday, Israeli Defense Minister Yoav Galant looked out over Lebanon from his vantage point on Mount Dov and warned Hezbollah's leader Hassan Nasrallah not to make a mistake and attack. He said that if an escalation or conflict develops here, we will, quote, return Lebanon to the Stone Age. We will not hesitate to use all of our power and erode every inch of Hezbollah and Lebanon if we have to. Let's pray it doesn't come down to that. But uh, once again, we see that things are certainly heating up in that neck of the woods. So you have Iran, essentially being given $6 billion by our current administration, uh, $6 billion that could very easily be used to be able to uh, support and uh, finance a war on Israel mm. from Lebanon. They are at 80% enrichment on uh, their uh, mad-plunge to nuclear weapons. Oh, and one other thing. Uh, there were uh, hopeful articles that had been published in the uh, Washington Post, uh, the Wall Street Journal, that uh, Saudi Arabia and Israel were close to an agreement where Saudi Arabia would recognize Israel's right to exist. Mm. This was supposed to be brokered by the United States. Well, there's where things get muddled. The United States seems to have a uh, very uh, adept gift, at least in this administration, for coming in to negotiations that were proceeding apace and uh, making them into a huge flaming mess, which is exactly what's happened here. Mm. Uh, The uh, agreement... Uh, would allow the Saudis to pursue their own nuclear program, something that makes Israel somewhat nervous because the Saudis, uh, like it or not, are followers of the Quran who want to see Israel wiped off the map. Uh, Certainly Israel doesn't want to see that happen. But the other thing that came out uh, when uh, this was leaked was that part and parcel of this agreement was asking Israel to make massive concessions to the palestinians in order for the saudis to recognize their right to exist israel's uh, response to that well the short answer was no the long answer was no they don't want to negotiate so uh, once again uh, when we take a look at this from a prophetic point of view a few things we have to understand First of all, Israel is the straw that stirs the drink in the Middle East. Uh, It's going to be a a continued thorn in the side for any world power that is going to want to uh, deal with Israel. Uh, It's going to be a stumbling stone, a rock of offense, one that uh, causes uh, many nations to uh, find themselves uh, injured by it, though they try to haul it away, the Book of Zechariah tells us. Uh, The other thing that we need to understand is that Iran and they're cozying up relationships with Russia. Certainly are things prophesied in a future war that will take place when Iran uh, takes part in a Russian-led invasion of Israel, uh, the Gog and Magog invasion of Ezekiel 38 and 39. Uh, we see uh, the stage being set for that. Uh, in fact, uh, there was a another uh, story that ran beforehand that uh, Russia And uh, the United States are getting involved in aerial skirmishes. Uh, The Russians apparently severely damaged a uh, U.S. drone uh, with uh, flares, believe it or not, dropped from a Russian aircraft over the area of Syria. And if, in fact, we are talking about uh, proxy militias attacking U.S. troops in Iraq from Syria, and we are talking about an attack on Israel from Lebanon, 250,000, by the way, missiles stockpiled in Lebanon aimed at Israel right Mm. now. Uh, I think we are definitely uh, heading towards what we would call a birth pain coming up. So Mm. as always, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Uh, You know, I really liked uh, what uh, Amir Serfati said uh, about uh, people asking him, uh, do you feel nervous about uh, coming back to your homeland with all the saber rattling in Lebanon and Syria and Iran? He said, I'm not. Maybe I'd be a little scared if I had to depend on our military or government as much as I respect them. Remember, there are 250,000 missiles pointed at my country right now, but my hope and my peace doesn't come from my president or the Knesset or the IDF or the Mossad. My faith is in God and him alone. As Mm. David wrote, now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from holy heaven with saving strength of his right hand. Some will trust in horses, some in chariots, but we will remember the name of the Lord, Mm. our God. Mm. So... Continue to pray uh, for
0: all of those uh, in harm's way in that situation. Cooler heads will prevail, and that peace will return to Jerusalem. Amen to that. Amen to that. And here's that website you mentioned, BeholdIsrael.org. You said that's a good place to... Excellent place.
1: And uh, you can subscribe to his newsletter there. I'd highly recommend that you do that. Great information.
0: Amir is very, very well connected and a very solid expositor of God's Word. Mm, Very good. Well, great. Well, thank you thank you for that update as always we'll be praying for sure um okay we've got some questions coming in if we want to transition to that question from, that. <laughs> yeah sounds good um question from to thank you for joining us again i know you had your question yesterday and you've rejoined us and restated your question appreciate you doing that and hanging in there with us um to ask, the man that gathered sticks during the sabbath and was stoned to death is he in heaven or was he judged by the law and not in heaven because uh, he was under the law what are your thoughts on this i think it's numbers 15. 32. both can be true
2: um that would be a situation where in the new testament terminology it would be called the sin leading unto death and why well much like with extreme examples of people who claim to be christians and showed that they were being held accountable for more like Ananias and Sapphira the reason why they were judged so harshly and immediately was because they had seen the miracles performed by the Apostles now jump that up to infinity for the generation that saw the Exodus they had seen the Red Sea crossing the plagues of Egypt God limitedly but visibly appearing on Mount Sinai speaking the law including to honor the Sabbath not to gather wait and so forth all that stuff He had seen the provision of manna. He had agreed along with his family to keep the laws verbally enunciated by god and that were so dramatically demonstrated to him in exodus chapter 20 that they pleaded that moses would speak on god's behalf lest they would die from the experience if this was a sermon sunday you think our music's loud the, the point being made was just that so the principle and work is that to whom much is given much shall be required we don't live in a day where a lot of people are struck dead by god though i do Give room to say that may happen from time to time. Uh, there is instances of direct divine judgment, but there are also instances of people who are just given leeway and a lot of grace until they ultimately answer for their lives. Why? Because they haven't been exposed to as much as those generations. So when you are held to the level of accountability that have seen the miracles, that have seen God, that have seen. His messengers communicate his word directly then you are accountable to a much higher degree and of as well much higher consequences if you don't hold to those standards than if you were today when you're just reading it and are assessing intellectually whether these claims are worth trusting so the young man who gathered sticks on the sabbath did so first of all with impunity he knew what he was doing was wrong he knew who he was dealing with, when he was violating even the least of those commandments, and he knew the penalty, yet he did it anyway. And unfortunately in the West, particularly in the United States, we live in a day and age where it's uh, oftentimes sympathy for the devil, or in this case the criminal. The reality is the laws were spelled out plainly for him. He was held to a level of accountability that he agreed to and then violated it. That's why he was judged, and that's why others were in the future as well Mm -hmm. as far as the initial answer the sin leading unto death him being in heaven or not there's a fine difference between immediate consequences and eternal ones and what do i mean by that what i mean is as far as heaven or hell is concerned it's a very black or white issue you're either a part of as far as your the fancy words dispensation but what god's doing in your generation to reveal his grace and it's all been by faith, by the way. But Israel was given a revelation of God's glory, and they would either trust or acknowledge it Mm -hmm. with the information that they had or not. And for the most part, the generations that followed in the wilderness were all quote-unquote saved, but they were all still fallen sinful people. And you see that coming up every half hour or so. But the point being made is just that. When people fall short in a relationship with God, you see pastors, say, for instance, that had a uh, issue with, say, for instance, uh, opiates. We can name people in our own lives that have had this sort of issue, uh, backslide into old areas of sin, haven't abandoned their relationship with God, just had a bad weekend, and of course, because their body had gotten used to or detoxed off of the opiates, they went back onto their usual dosage, overdosed, and physically died. We don't say they lost their salvation because nothing that they did earned it to begin with, but we do note there were immediate physical consequences to sin that can result in a loss of life. Mm -hmm. That there are, as we read in 1 John chapter 5, sins that lead unto death. And if they go that far or end up in that situation, they're between them and God at that point. That all they will ultimately stand for is whether or not they had Jesus. But noting having Jesus and having a sin problem are two different categories. In fact, one leads to the other, but not like antiversa, I guess would be the word. The fact that we sin is the reason jesus claim uh, came the fact that we still sin is not going to send jesus away in fact it's oftentimes the reason we hold on to him all the more but for the guy who is gathering sticks given the fact that he had seen the miracles believed and affirmed them the fact that not just he was held to a level of accountability but that god dealt with him directly is actually a sign that he was saved because God doesn't punish the neighbor's kids. He was held Mm -hmm. to a level of accountability that he knew, and as a result, it physically resulted in his death. Mm -hmm. But as we read in, not only Proverbs, but later quoted in Hebrews 12 as well, God dealing with you as with sons, the chastening of the Lord, whether in an immediate or in a radical physical sense is a mark of him dealing with you as sons. Mm. The fact that, uh, say for example, God allowed Babylon to destroy the Temple of Solomon and take them into exile, was it because they no longer had a relationship with God? We're going through Ezekiel. No, in fact, that was the opposite Mm. reason why he was judging them. There were other nations that were getting judged, but not for, uh, not for the purposes of restoration. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. As a judge, you relate to God, innocent or guilty. As a father, you relate to God on the basis of you're in trouble. And sometimes those consequences can result in physical death but if we are put in a position of righteousness before god it's not going to be undone by our physical works the only way that can happen is by severing ourselves from fellowship with jesus and as far as the man was concerned in uh, numbers 15 of gathering sticks in the sabbath he committed a serious sin he knew the consequences just like all of us when we sin, but the fact of the matter is the severity of his punishment was because he was held accountable to more. It didn't mean that his relationship with God was invalidated. The fact God dealt with him so harshly is actually a mark of that still being in place. So
0: mm. so then <clears throat> salvation has always, it's always been um, by faith, right? Mm. You're saying it wasn't Salvation came through the law, and now it's through Jesus. It's always been... No, judgment came through the law, according right, to Romans. Right. I'm, I mean, I think... Well, of a,
1: salvation could come through the law if you could keep it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Try <laughs> right. that for
0: five minutes. Yeah, just one of them. Just, <laughs> yeah. just yeah, the but ten. By the law is the
2: knowledge of sin. So. Right. Yeah. I was when thinking of
0: Abraham, right? It was He believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. It was his, his faith. Adam and Eve, by faith, believed in the promises of God, and we see that demonstrated by them
2: calling their firstborn son, behold the Lord. Well,
1: Abraham better hope it was justification by faith, because right after God uh, showed him uh, the promised land, told him he would bless those who bless him and curse those who cursed him, he immediately ratified that decision by uh, seeing a famine rise in Israel and skedaddling down to Egypt and saying to the missus, by the way, Tell him you're my sister, or right. they'll probably kill me. Yeah. Well, that strategy worked out well. They uh, Sarah ended up in uh, Pharaoh's harem. God appears to Pharaoh and says, If you touch her, you're a dead man. Uh, Pharaoh escorts Abraham and Sarah out of the country. So yeah. Yep. If we're talking about Abraham being right by God, by <laughs> some external standard of righteousness, uh, he's in trouble.
0: Yes. But yeah. uh, Abraham believed God right. and it was counted him for righteousness. Yeah. 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 And the same same for us too yeah great well again thank you to you for that uh that question uh hope that helps you out with that it's great discussion a uh, question from yari <laughs> he says prophecy updates or news for you um astronomers found something in outer space that is shaped like a question mark apparently does shapes reflect uh, the glory of god um thanks well, well thank you yari well
1: i would say that uh, psalm 19 says the heavens are declaring the glory of god the firmament for shows forth his handiwork uh, the uh, image in in uh, discussion here, uh, they're getting uh, these uh, marvelous images back now from the James Webb Telescope, which is farther out as far as orbit goes than the old Hubble Telescope, far more sophisticated and so on. Uh, some uh, amazing input uh, coming in from it, and one of them is an image that does look like a question mark. It is mm. a fusion together of some uh, galaxies there. Um, essentially uh it's kind of a fortuitous set of circumstances uh it's not like god is rearranging the stars and saying repent Hmm. that would be very very interesting indeed yeah Uh, it looks kind of like a question mark there are certain things that you will see certain formations uh say in rocks uh that uh, people will say oh that looks just like if you ever visit tucson arizona and go on the Sabino Canyon tram uh, road, uh, right? It takes you on this three mile tram road up to the end there. You get a beautiful view of the canyon. But at one point, you're coming around a corner, you're looking up towards Mount Lemmon, and they will show you a formation on the side that looks like Snoopy lying on top <laughs> of his doghouse. Right. And everybody gets a big chuckle out of that. Well, nobody thinks that Charles Schultz went up and carved that thing out. It's a fortuitous set of circumstances. We, with our human brains, uh, will try to sometimes see patterns in, in certain things. And that's really all that you're dealing with in that, uh, that particular setting. Do the heavens declare the glory of God? Absolutely. They show us his vastness. They show him the, the might of his power. Uh, you know, when uh, we take a look at uh, even the position of planet Earth, a couple things stand out to us. First of all, something astronomers call the Goldilocks zone that planet Earth finds itself in. Not too hot and not too cold. (laughs) Anywhere outside of this Goldilocks zone, life as we know it would be impossible here. Even the positioning of our moon affecting the tides has tremendous impact upon our our environment and our atmosphere. You know, all these things have to be precisely set up. Even uh, naturalistic, uh, materialistic uh, astronomers have a name for it. It's called the Anthropic Principle that is that the universe seems fine-tuned for life right now they'll try to uh, hand wave and say well isn't it amazing all these uh, fortuitous accidents coming together Uh, but uh, design uh, requires a designer Uh, you know again explosions and print shops don't make encyclopedias Mm. and even uh, the earth itself as we see it in our situation with the moon and so on uh, carefully designed by God to promote Mm. life so you know do yourself a favor especially if you're here in Arizona, great place to go outside and uh, watch the Lord put on a show uh, up where we are uh, the last few nights, just the uh, the Milky Way itself, just incredibly bright and vivid across mm. the sky in the uh, summer skies that we have here. And if you get like a little Costco 100 power telescope, you can start poking around Uh, around the Milky Way and see all kinds of things, uh, huge clusters of stars, Mm. uh, nebulas, uh, all kinds of amazing sights out there Mm. where the Lord puts on a show every night. Yeah,
0: it's definitely humbling too. So, yeah. Yeah.
1: The the question mark, no.
0: No. No. (laughs) Fortuitous
1: circumstance. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, But I guess
0: if it wasn't, then I guess we could ask ourselves, what's the question? That's (laughs) right, yeah. Hopefully it's not a Batman thing with a Riddler or something in the sky. Yeah. I don't know, but yeah. Well, thanks for that. Anything to add to that, Sean? No? How could you? Why would you? Why would you try? Thank you, Yari. Great question. Um, thank you for being a regular on our show. Here, I have a question from Bo. Not our Bo, but another Bo that's about the same name. For the, the French, How do we know? The French, <laughs> because they're both in maybe, the chat. <laughs> maybe he's he's because I'm the host. I he's know faking. <laughs> maybe all right. He may Fire have two away. accounts. He Fire may away. have two accounts. We'll yeah. see. Yeah. We'll see if it's like Gnarly Dude or something. We'll know it's both then. But anyway, the question is um, Are the demons locked up along with Satan during the thousand years, the thousand year reign, I guess? Or are they hidden in the shadows controlling the flesh? Scripture doesn't tell. Um, oh, boy. Why not? Yeah. So uh, the um,
2: two things why we're not told about these things. First of all, it's not our business and we don't need to know. The second thing, real real big problem with the statement, are the demons controlling the flesh, as if that's an assumption. Those are two entirely different things, Bo. When we're talking about the nature of the fallen sinful state we fi- or, uh, find ourselves in, First John chapter 2 notes that there are three influences, the world, the flesh, and the devil the worldly system or the influences therein, just this cultivated state of rebellion that we find ourselves all seemingly in agreement and united upon, and apart from a relationship with God, we'd fall in step in our own way. The flesh is the internal fallen nature, what Paul describes in Romans chapter seven, even someone who's saved, who's indwelt by the Holy Spirit, is gonna be struggling with until they see the Lord face to face, this default position of knowing what is good, but finding in yourself the will to do it, not there. So understand, first of all, the world and the flesh, two entirely different things, this ongoing universal status of rebelling against God, this internal status of rebelling against God, and then the devil. Now, people look at that and think it's either the anti-God this reverse entity that controls everything evil, that it's one and the same with the world, that it's Mm. one and the same with the flesh. And then you get into false doctrine like deliverance ministries where they think that every single manifestation of sin is because the devil poked that button in your brain on that day. Mm. Nothing could be further from the truth. Likewise, when people take it so far as to say, well, and he mentioned the devil is specifically Lucifer, Well, that's also not true, because the devil literally just means the adversary, and it can refer just as much in broad terms to an enemy. The enemy, of course, can be specifically denoting as Satan, but he's more of a figurehead of what you would note, and we both agree, are more than one adversarial spirit. Satan himself is one of them, but we also know that there are a large number, of angels that fell and joined in his rebellion in revelation 12. we also note that those numbers are pretty impressive when jesus confronted them outside of the gadarenes there was a legion of demons that was shaking in their boots or whatever they have when jesus was approaching them so noting that point what is the difference between, and what are the roles of, and what will be the position of those entities in the future. Uh, First of all, we're told that there are entities, even right now, not even during the thousand-year reign, but right now, who are locked in what is called the abyss, the heart of the earth, bottomless pit, take what you will, but all that we need to know about it is what we're told. It's a holding place where these very unruly, nasty nasty creatures, (laughs) are being kept away from us and awaiting final judgment. We know this not just because it's fun science fiction, it's actual documented history. The demonic entities that spoke with Jesus were not only aware that they were still under his authority, but pleaded with him not to be sent into the abyss and demonstrated that that leniency was due to them. Why? Because they were willing to do what he said they weren't going to be put in that imprisoned state because they weren't going to go beyond, note this, their boundaries, what they were being permitted to do. Now we see an adversarial spirit, Satan himself, the accuser, in the book of Job, that was being permitted by God to do certain things. And we note that his influence far and wide is, uh, definitely seems like he has a longer leash than we would like. But since he has not been locked in the abyss, everything that is being permitted to be done is being done by these entities because God has allowed it, and not without the necessary counterbalance of him working all things together for good. Mm -hmm. So note that second point. When it comes to the difference between our flesh and the world, again, I'll emphasize the point because it's a very, very difficult issue for a lot of people to understand. We can make mistakes too. There is such a thing as a wrong decision that we can make. The fact that the enemy fell is no more a dismissal of our fallen nature and accountability before God than um, that old TV show and the characters would constantly pass the buck and say, the devil made me do it. It's (laughs) It's a lame excuse. It's not biblical doctrine. Now, if we're going to give the devil so much credit, the adversary, the accuser, take your pick, and say that this is an entity that is so powerful, so influential, that we give him divine attributes and consider him omnipresent first of all that he can influence and impact the mind, hearts and minds of every person on this planet we're giving him traits that belong exclusively to god and that's blasphemous so understand that's not a position that we need to cultivate and one that needs to be challenged biblically the second thing is if we have such a low view of god that we believe his very spirit is indwelling us and yet incapable of stopping the enemy's external influences while the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, that's a quote, dwells in you, then you need a bigger God because the enemy can't Touch you. That's also a quote from 1 John, believe it or not. So, if we are going to take all of this into consideration, then what will their future role be? It won't be controlling the flesh. They can't do that now. They don't do that now. They won't do that then. It's not going to be hiding in the shadows. We aren't told where they are because, note this point, and I'm being very serious about this because I've seen what letting this doctrine run loose has done to the hearts and minds of God's people, isn't our business. What we're told is very limited, but there's a reason why the spiritual is being left to the spirits, the is being left to the matter. When we're talking about God's dealings with man, we're told about God's dealings with man. Where angels are relevant, they're brought up, but as far as these messengers, these spiritual heavenly entities, as far as names are concerned, we're only told about three, maybe four, and, and I'm in the four camp, by the way, Lucifer, which is debated. Um, Abaddon, the destroyer, which is distinct from Satan because he was in the abyss as the point of the tribulation. Satan wasn't. Gabriel, mighty one of God, usually and generally tied into the coming of the Messiah. His appearances were to Daniel regarding the most significant messianic prophecy, the Old Testament, to Zacharias, the father of uh, John the Baptist, who was the forerunner of the Messiah. And then, of course, Mary herself, the mother of the Messiah, the fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 7. That's it. Uh, there's some people who speculate that Gabriel was the one who appeared to the shepherds as well. We aren't told, so I won't. I won't
1: read that into there. He was big on doing announcements, though.
2: Yeah, he, he liked that. I'll, uh, we, we can ask him about it someday. And then Michael, who's generally associated with the defense of the people of Israel, and he's only mentioned twice, first in the book of Daniel regarding his involvement at the last days because Israel's going to be so opposed at that time, and of course again in Revelation where he's set aside for the purposes of giving Satan the boot and his access to the throne of God, which the adversary, Satan, that big S Satan, generally is going to be spending most of his time. He doesn't care about things here so when it comes to what we're told stick to that first of all that that's my exhortation to all of you (laughs) the second thing is that what we don't need to know there's a reason for that as well and when it comes to us reading into or going beyond what we need to know into things that first of all are just irreconcilable with other things that we are told about these entities, which is very limited. That's where the realm of imagination also gets into blasphemy because we're attributing to entities that aren't God things that belong to God. Be very careful with that. The third and most important thing is that when we're talking about the nature of our flesh, we need forgiveness. We are sinners. We need sanctification. We need salvation. We need the filling of the Holy Spirit. We don't need to buffet or cast out or, good heavens, bind the strong man in order to live some sort of godly life. We do a fine job messing up things on our own because we share the heart of Satan, not the soul. Make sure that when we are Looking at these sort of things, the influence and the authority of the Lord and the attention and focus of the Lord is what dictates Scripture, not the adversaries. Because, as the saying goes, the most important thing you can do during a time of plague and pestilence and spiritual warfare is not to join uh, forces with the plagues and the pestilences. Spiritual warfare is an interesting topic, but it's mostly experienced and expressed as far as discerning truth from error. Here's an opportunity. It's not through drawing a you know, lightning sword and uh, casting the Balrog on the hills of the Misty Mountains. It's done through drawing near to God and him drawing near to you. That's how we resist the devil. And as a result, he will flee from us, any adversarial spirit, the big one included. But, and I, I say this uh, kind of tongue in cheek, but also with some seriousness behind it. When people think that Satan himself is tempting me, you're not that important. You're not that cool. God has uh, bigger issues that he's dealing with. Dave's that that. cool. Yeah. Yeah. But when it comes to this (laughs) issue— Yeah, speak for yourself over there. Yeah. When it comes to this (laughs) issue, we can mess up things on our own terms just fine without his intervention. We certainly uh, see some of the consequences of his actions and share in them if we join in his ultimate purpose. But the point being made is just that. What's going to be going on at the millennium? Jesus is going to be ruling and reigning from Jerusalem. What are the adversarial spirits are going to be doing at that time? They'll either be in the abyss or they will be quiet. Mm. The human flesh and human nature, as we see at the end of the thousand-year reign, is going to be something we will do just fine on our own. The whole point of emphasis needs to be a focusing on Jesus, not on our adversary. Even when he comes up, like we talked about in Ezekiel 28, the best thing we can take away from that is by contrast seeing that's not Jesus. Yeah, yeah. You know, one thing I'd add yeah, I think uh, that really
1: sums it up. But one thing I would add, and I think it kind of keeps things in you know, a wonderful balance, is underneath this idea of demons making you do things. Um, you know, some people will, you know, say that, you know, well, I've opened a door to demons, and they're they're working in my my life, and so right. on. Well, the the best way to put that to bed is don't judge your spiritual experiences by how you might feel. Uh, judge them on the word of God. Mm-hmm. What part of first John four four don't you understand? Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. It doesn't say greater is he that is in you than what is also in you. Yeah. And man, they're having a wrestling match right now. Right. You know? So uh, you know that that's not scriptural. The, the, the balance and I love the, the, the nuance that James gives to all of this. It's really beautiful. In James chapter one in verse thirteen says, Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm tempted by God for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, I just think it's interesting that the idea of deception is emphasized here. Principle number one. If you feel like you are being tempted in a certain area, don't blame the devil. Don't blame God. Mm. Each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires. Yeah. But notice as well, and enticed. The word enticed there in the original language, really interesting. It describes uh, the idea of building a snare for uh, to catch a bird. Mm. Um, you know, like uh, having some bird seed in a box, you know, with a little stick underneath it. The bird goes in, pull the thing, and... Yep. you know satan can externally set up circumstances to entice us mm. hence the internet right yeah i mean a veritable plethora of things that can entice you mm-hmm. if you give way to all of that we're not to be ignorant of the schemes of the devil i mean mm. let's face it satan can't read your mind he's not omniscient but he's nobody's fool either he's got a pretty good me and his demons have pretty good dossier on us, and they know our weak points, and they know exactly how to bring things across our path They can play upon yep. those weak points. And so I don't think we should underestimate that. But Satan can only work in our lives from the outside in. He can't work from the inside out. And, and that's the most important principle, because the one who is in us, we are indwelt by God's Holy Spirit, uh, terrifies him uh he would not want to try to get inside of us but Mm -hmm. like you say sean man have i been around sincere believers in christ who have their peace uh replaced by just this constant fear that somehow they've let some kind of demonic entity into their life and uh oh i I can't help it anymore this demon made me do it and they've got a whole list of demons and their characteristics and and how they work you know there's nothing in scripture to support that whatsoever mm. we shouldn't underestimate the cleverness and strategic approach that satan and his demons will try to do from the outside right. to get us to stumble and fall we need to be sober-minded diligent we need to have our eyes open as peter said you know therefore be sober uh, be diligent for your enemy uh, the uh, the satan uh, uh, goes around like a roaring lion seeking mm-hmm. whom he may devour yeah. No no doubt about the fact we're in a spiritual war. We don't want to err, err on the side of saying we're not, but we also have to understand our enemy. We also have to understand he can only work from the outside in mm. and that he usually does his biggest damage with doctrine. Uh, we're told that one of the things we need to watch out for in the last days, Paul writing to Timothy, were doctrines of demons. And it's fascinating to me that the doctrines of demons that are being addressed in that passage weren't like, well, Satan's going to come and say, subscribe to the Playboy channel. Right. Uh, no, it, it was all about legalism, mm. you know, having yeah. this really harsh, strict uh, righteousness that's based on my conduct and my uh, way of dealing with God instead of God's goodness to me. So, you know, we have to be very careful of all of that, and as such, you know, I worked at... Uh, Security Pacific Bank in California sat through one of those uh, seminars the FBI puts on about how to spot counterfeits. Mm. Uh, the FBI agent said the best people spot counterfeits are experienced bank tellers. Mm. Why? Because they have so much experience with the real thing, the real thing yeah. that if a counterfeit gets passed, they can tell just by the feel yep. uh, or, or just by some slight defect in it. Uh, because they're so familiar with dealing with the actual thing that they can spot a phony the mile away. If we become so familiar with God's word, we can spot the phonies a mile away.
0: Mm, Good tip. Yeah. For sure. Great. Well, thank you both for that that question. Hope that helps you out. A question from coming up on the end of the show. We have five minutes left about. A question from David. Uh, Beyond the textual explanation, what symbolic or moral lessons might be gleaned from God's rejection of Cain's offering, and how might these lessons apply to our understanding of faith and worship? Thank you, David, for your question. There's a few
2: directions people go. Um, Again, this isn't definition. This is application. We can be a bit broader in this. And since the Old and New Testament references to it are fairly straightforward, uh, we can I guess speculate if we want. Uh, When people usually draw attention to that they'll go one of three directions. First what he sacrificed, second why he sacrificed, and third how he sacrificed as proven later by his attitude. Um, The reason maybe that god rejected his sacrifice as far as the substance of it was he offered the fruit of the field whereas abel offered the flock of the field and as we know sin offerings as opposed to thanksgiving offerings were done exclusively through the shedding of blood and that as we're told in later passages adam being basically the priest of the home passed down these instructions cain was doing something in order to express gratitude with god while abel was seeking a relationship with god restored fellowship with him uh, conflicted priorities Uh, don't rejoice uh, for the blessings of god until you first have dealt with your sin before god that Mm -hmm. could be one option Uh, the second as far as how he offered the sacrifice uh, it's again described throughout the old and new testament as an unworthy sacrifice and that was more shown by God answering it. But the point of emphasis on how it was sacrificed was into the third point, the attitude and heart he brought into it, which was shown later to be not so pleasant. He became the first murderer out of resentfulness towards his brother, not out of a genuine desire to pursue God. If that was his intent, then he would have sought restored fellowship with God instead of brushing God off and blaming someone else for him, uh, for his problems. Um, I don't know Cain's heart, God did, and We can see the fruit of him and his grandchildren as well. But the point, I think, that's the best to take away from it, and again, this is just to be brief, is when we're talking about Cain and Abel, we saw that the overall attitude showed what was going on on the inside and that he wanted nothing to do with God to begin with. It's kind of like in uh, the book of Haggai reading today. Uh, The Samaritans uh, came and wanted to help build the temple, and Ezra said, no, we're, we're not interested in you guys helping us. You maybe want a part of the God thing, but we want the God heart. They immediately showed that they were lying about wanting to be a part of God's Yeah, their tune
1: changed real quick.
2: Well, not necessarily, because in lying to the Hebrews about wanting to be a part of the work of God, they then continued to lie towards the Persian authority saying, they're trying to instill a rebellion against you. The heart comes out. And so I think that's another thing you can take away from Cain's uh, unworthy sacrifice. Anything else?
1: Yeah, you know, just as far as sacrifices in general, I love what Psalm 40 uh, says uh, about this. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my ears you've opened. In other words, mm. uh, it's a picture of someone who would have their ear pierced as a bondservant. Mm-hmm. Sin offering and burn offering you did not require. Then I said, behold, uh, I've come. It is written of me in the scroll to do your will, O Lord, is all my delight and your laws within my heart. Mm. Uh, Cain knew what was right to do, but the law wasn't in his heart it was something he offered a grain offering mm. uh we see in the law of moses grain offerings completely appropriate at certain circumstances it wasn't because of the blood or the grain or anything yeah. like that but it was because of the heart that he brought to it yeah. he came with the idea of saying well what can i do to do the minimum here yeah. or right. oh boy here we go again you know, it's like when we do you know people are asked to give in church uh if i say it's the roll your eye test
0: Mm
1: -hmm. if giving comes up in church and you roll your eyes and go oh boy here we go again don't give yeah god doesn't need your grain god doesn't need your sheep god doesn't need your sacrifice yeah god's got all of that covered but what he wants is your heart
0: yeah amen amen to that we're on the end of our show here scott thank you sean thank you hey would you guys like to come back tomorrow yeah we you know we had to talk about a meeting yeah okay yeah we'd love for you to come back tomorrow we'd love for you to come back tomorrow as well thank you for being part of the show great questions today great discussions we'll see you same time same place tomorrow have a great evening God bless you you've been
2: listening to A Reason for Hope thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through God's word one question of the heart at a time until we meet again we would love to connect with you you can text or email your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com You can also find out more about our ministry at calvarychristianfellowship.com. And be sure to join us next time on A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.